At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. It is the Lombardi Line coming to you from the South Point Hotel and Casino. Lombardi Line, as always, presented by BetMGM. Femi Bebefe alongside Wes Reynolds in for Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher this morning. And Wes, we just wrapped up week two of the NFL season. What a wild win it was last night for the Las Vegas Raiders. First time in front of the home fans at Allegiant Stadium. They get the overtime win over the Baltimore Ravens, 33-27. Raiders cover as a three-point dog. That was the closing line. The total goes over. Pretty wild how that one went over after 27 points. We only scored uh, with four or ten minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, but what were your impressions just on that week one Monday night opener with the Raiders getting the upset victory? Well, first of all, from a betting perspective, a rare time where the sports books are going to need the underdog in a primetime game, <laughs> especially a home underdog here, and looked, uh, or they didn't really need them. They needed the favorite actually. They needed the Ravens, but the Raiders, that bus got crowded and I was, I was on the Raiders and I was a little bit worried. I was like, okay, you know, too many people like this team. And then through the first about two and a half, three quarters, it was like, okay, they were right. You know, bus got a little too crowded on the silver and black, but they get it home. I thought it was a very good game and, you know, nice response for the Raiders in front of the home crowd. And I really liked them necessarily in that spot. I thought it was just the home run spot for the Raiders. The line value probably was on the Ravens, but the spot Mm -hmm. was on the silver and black. So great game, I thought. And look, sometimes the network programmers get it right and the schedulers get it right Femi sometimes we'll get dud primetime games but sometimes we'll get really good ones two out of three ain't bad as meatloaf saying because we had the Cowboys Bucks on Thursday night and then obviously the Monday night football game right here at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas Uh, really great game exciting game lots of topsy-turvy down the yes. stretch. Lots of, <laughs> lo- lots of uh, twists and turns and uh, plot twists in that game. So, uh, Silver and Blackout to a 1-0 start. So, good first impression in their new town. Yeah, we have a jam-packed show this morning and afternoon for those on the East Coast. We have Will Hill joining us here at the bottom of the hour from Point Spread Weekly. Also, a special guest, Steven Ruiz of The Ringer. He's the NFL writer at The Ringer. He will be joining us in the second hour. So, we'll catch up with those two guys to kind of recap week one and also look ahead to to week number two, but you said it was topsy-turvy. It felt when I was watching the game last night, it was three games within one, almost. It was mm-hmm. like there was the first three quarters was a game, the fourth quarter was a game in itself, and mm-hmm. then overtime, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like what we saw in overtime, especially that sequence with Derek Carr hitting Brian Edwards. We thought it was a walk-off touchdown, inches just short, and then three plays later, throwing the interception in the red zone. You never really see a team with a goal-to-go situation on that first First drive, not win the game, but then they get the Lamar Jackson fumble on the ensuing drive. Then they eventually able Derek Carr finding Zay Jones on the wide open TD to, to steal it for the silver and black. Yeah, I'll start with the Raiders side here. I think some positive.
positives and some negatives, really, on both teams. The positive, obviously, for the Raiders. Derek Carr down the stretch was absolutely great. A little bit, a uh, little bit rough early on because even uh, on the uh, bet on the uh, cast last night on ESPN two, they had Peyton and Eli Manning, which uh, probably going to be must watch through the rest of the season. Very much rave reviews for that broadcast, and they would have special guests. Charles Barkley, one of them. Charles Barkley, of course, he had money on the Raiders at three and a half. Of and, course, uh, he did. Somebody was saying, "Oh, he had the worst number." I was like, "Chuck's not always a number sensitive better, not necessarily, but he had a lot more money and probably everybody else that would criticize him." Also, he didn't have the worst number was three. Yeah, he close three. Yeah, so he got in the middle <laughs> yeah. at least. He was just he was, on the right uh, side he was an early football. piggybacker. Exactly. But, but yeah, with with Chuck, and he was saying, "Is Derek Carr going to throw these guys, overthrow these guys all night?" Because that's what he was doing very early on. And look, he was hitting Darren Waller as like, you know, you have other receivers besides Waller, but a lot of those receivers weren't getting open early in the game. So Darren Waller, uh, I think he got about 85 targets. That's an unofficial account here, but it's, it sure seemed <laughs> like pretty it. Close. <laughs> but, you know, he settled in and, and the Raiders, I think, kind of settled in. Maybe there was some nerves early, obviously playing in front of your home crowd for the first time in a regular season game on Monday Night Football. But for the Raiders, the positives I will take is the defense is still a work in progress, but they look at least a little bit improved on the front four Mm -hmm. within Gakwe and Crosby. And by the way, that was the difference. I think if you were to point to one matchup in this game, what was the difference last night in terms of the outcome of the game? It was Max Crosby against Alejandro Villanueva, the right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, who comes over as a free agent from the Steelers. Max Crosby, two sacks, and it felt like he had a lot more pressures last night. He absolutely kicked Alejandro Villanueva's butt in that matchup, and so did Carl Nassib getting mm-hmm. that late stop that forced the Ravens to kick a field goal and also the strip sack fumble in overtime, so you know, good pass rush on that side for uh, the Raiders, but the secondary still a lot of a work in progress. They got beat on some matchups. Of course, the deep ball, Kwiatkowski, they had receiver on a linebacker, and that receiver is going to win every time. But, you know, you got to take the positives. I mean, you're 1-0. You got to win over, I think, still a pretty good team. I don't want to throw Baltimore out necessarily, even though they're up against it this week, too. On Sunday night football, once again on primetime against Kansas City, that line I'm seeing three and a half, four now. The look-ahead line was two and a half, so at least a little bit of adjustment on Kansas City. And then I'll go to the Baltimore side very quickly. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask yeah, you about Baltimore, because you mentioned Alejandro Villanueva, and that was the big spotlight there mm-hmm. from what I saw from watching the game. He he just looked absolutely washed. And you see why the Pittsburgh Steelers were, were not afraid to let him go after the way he played last night there. But when you look at that offensive line and even just that offense, just from a schematic standpoint, it looked stale to me. Like it, it almost looked like they were maybe hoping to keep some stuff back for them, maybe looking ahead to that Kansas City game that's coming up Sunday night football at home. We know they haven't got off the the schneid against Kansas City. They still have that monkey on their back, but it looked a little stale. Greg Roman, I mean, we've kind of seen this with Greg Roman in the past with the San Francisco 49ers where once it got to year three, year four, defenses have really caught up to what he's doing. It, it just looked like the same old, same old from the Ravens from what we saw a year ago. It did. Now, what one thing I will say, one positive I'll take from the offense, 
Jones, despite the fact that he got strip sacked and had two fumbles, I thought Lamar Jackson's decision making was better. Mm-hmm. And you, we saw that touchdown where he got rushed, where Crosby almost had him and then just didn't quite get him. And then a couple of the pass rushers ran into each other. Lamar had time. Lamar had time and was very patient. He didn't elect to run. He was like, "Okay, I'm going to find a guy open." I think it was the uh, I think it was the touchdown to Hollywood Brown in the back of the end zone. Play. Yeah, and he was very patient. I thought the decision making has improved. Now the thing is, when you've got a quarterback that's going to be a ball carrier and a ball carrier that does a heavy load like Lamar Jackson, sometimes he's going to put it on the turf because he's not a, a real huge guy. But you know they had those strip sacks. But I thought Lamar Jackson was fine. I think that offensive line though does need a lot of work. It wasn't just Villanueva. Now he was the obs- the the absolutely obvious candidate when you point out the poor play. But Kevin Zeitler also on that right side of the right guard. I think he had about three false starts and that's going to put you in jail when you've got to get a third and long. And then it's like, we don't want Lamar always to have to run to get that first down. So that just puts you kind of behind the eight ball, but the Ravens offensive line got some issues. I think this running back situation will work itself out as you get guys a little bit healthier. And I thought Williams did a nice job filling in, got the early touchdown. Uh, Latavius Murray also got some work. They obviously want to improve the position and get guys healthy, but I thought from a Ravens standpoint, Lamar, at least for one game, very small sample size, looked like the decision-making has improved. The defense... Defense got kind of uh, kind of became a sieve down the stretch, yeah. though, in the passing game, which really surprised me is that Derek Carr really found that rhythm, and they had guys open all over the place late in the game. Yeah, no, first half, there were you saw the Wink Martindale blitzes. I know mm-hmm. Chuck Clark came on quite a few. Patrick Queen looked really good in his first game in his second year at linebacker spot for the Ravens. But going back to that offensive line there, Ronnie Stanley was one of the guys that we knew he was coming back from the injury, and that was a big reason why – we felt good, at least going into the season, about this Ravens offensive line. Now, Sam Monson at Pro Football Focus tweeted this stat out earlier this morning saying, in 2019 and 15 games, Ronnie Stanley allowed 10 pressures. In 2020 and six games, he allowed six. Last night, he allowed nine pressures. So that's more than he, could, more than he had last year in six games total. So, I mean, it's, I know he's coming back from the leg injury. Maybe he's mm-hmm. not all the way there. He was kind of brought along slowly in training camp uh, last month, but it's, they're going to need him to play at the level that he's capable of playing at if they're going to do anything in a pretty tough AFC. Right, and there are two sides of the story there. Obviously, the Ravens' offensive line has to get better, but it's encouraging for the Raiders that maybe they're finally getting a pass rush here. It wasn't just Crosby and Nassib on the other side against Villanueva and Gakwe. I felt was getting pressure on the quarterback, and that's what the Raiders have to do because this secondary, and especially this back seven, the linebackers and the secondary, is very much a work in progress. So that front four has to be good, and they have to be able to get home without necessarily blitzing, even though Gus Bradley timed a couple good blitzes. K.J. Wright came up on, on the blitz against the run and got a couple nice stops, really just storming through the middle. So Gus Bradley's going to be an uh, aggressive defensive coordinator, but that front four has got to continue to get home. Yeah, I've seen some Super Bowl odds already out after now week one in the books here. Ravens at 20 to 1. I have a Ravens 20 to 1 ticket from before the season. Don't feel great about it. Obviously, I've made that bet before. All their running backs lost their knees, and, mm-hmm. and Marcus Peters went out as well for the season. But if you like the Ravens or if you still believe, I would obviously look at that maybe 
after Sunday's yeah, game against yeah, the yeah, Kansas City yeah, Chiefs. you could wait because we remember, of course, that primetime game where Kansas City really handed Baltimore their launch yeah. uh, at uh, M&T Bank Stadium and maybe could do so again. I'm kind of waiting to see how line how uh, how high this line will go to see if there's a buyback spot on Baltimore. Right now, not touching it here. You could have got two and a half on the look-ahead line. It's now three and a half pretty much market-wide. Even some fours starting to show a little bit at mm-hmm. faraway places. I don't think that this is going to get totally out of whack here. It may go four, four and a half, dance around kind of in that dead zone of four and a half or five. Can I get I don't a six? E- I don't expect you're going <laughs> to see it. I expect if you see it, it's going to be gone on your Don Best screen in a flash here, though, because just the number uh-huh. value guys will go ahead and take the Ravens. And conversely, I tweeted last night, if you like the Chiefs, based on what the market was doing heading into that Raiders-Ravens game, you should yeah. probably bet them last night where you can get on the right side of three or at least get at three because now three and a half and that thing is not coming back to three. You're going to be laying more than a field goal with KC on the road in Baltimore. But hey, the Lombardi line rolls on. Jam-packed show here left. We've got more college football NFL action here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. here and it's time to download BetMGM Sports. It's Nevada's premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all of your favorite wagering options including in-game betting, boosted odds, specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522 4700. It is the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. Femi Abebefe, West Reynolds, coming to you from the South Point Hotel and Casino. And folks, it is the end of an era in Los Angeles. Clay Helton fired yesterday at USC. He was the coach since 2015. And it, it, was, it wasn't a great run. A lot of disappointment there. The folks at Action Network actually tweeted out uh, his ATS record of 28-39-2 since he was hired in 2015, which was the worst in the Pac-12 out of the 27 Pac-12 head coaches who were hired during his tenure at SC. Also ranked 331st out of 332 coaches against the spread against Power 5 schools. So Clay Helton, no more in USC. And it will be now Dante Williams, the associate head coach, who takes over as the interim, but it felt like a long time coming west for Helton now uh, Exodus at uh, at USC there. It did, uh, and look, uh, Jeff Probst, I think, would love to meet Clay Helton because he is a survivor, you know, and he has <laughs> been an absolute survivor in Los Angeles, and look, Clay Helton seems like a good man. Now, he got $12 million to go away in terms of his buyout, but and he did get to a Rose Bowl. They did win the Pac-12 in 2017, but if you look at that record, that's not good enough in, no. in the land of Troy. That That's just not good enough. That's not what USC should be, and Clay Helton isn't the first coach to necessarily not be good enough. If you look, 
over I was I saw this tweet and it was kind of fascinating over about a decade now USC has now ha- fired three coaches midseason started with Lane Kiffin Steve <laughs> Sarkeesian and now Clay Helton so uh you know it, it, it kind of just ran its course out there and you thought okay is he going to survive the season because he survived so many times you have a new athletic director and you always thought he was on borrowed time because Mike Bone of course the new athletic director at USC he came from University of Cincinnati so you thought whenever it's not your guy as an athletic director the coach is always a little bit on shaky ground and clearly Clay Helton was so uh now you mentioned Dante Williams going to take over as the interim they play Washington State this weekend up in the Palouse about eight and a half point favorites pretty much market-wide I think it opened as high as 10 so not a real big move on the Washington State side because they have some quarterback issues it looks like Jaden Delora may be the starter though Jared Guarantano the Tennessee transfer got hurt so he is going to be questionable but I think it's probably going to be Delora. He was the starter as a freshman last year. So I haven't done anything with this game with USC laying eight and a half because you got to question those mindsets or are these guys going to stay with the season? Are they going to play hard for Dante Williams or are they going to use it as motivation to say, okay, you know, our season's not over yet, but you always kind of worry if guys are going to pack it in. So this is one I'm staying away from for now. Well, in the NFL, it's usually that fired head coach bump the next game because jobs are on the line. You can get cut. You know, you're playing for another contract. In college, it's not quite the same pressure from an individual standpoint, so you wouldn't really necessarily play against this factor of, hey, USC just fired their head coach, now they're going to get that new coach or interim coach bump with Dante Williams and probably play above their heads because now they know that Everyone's kind of looking at them now, although it's not the same pressure as you would get in the pros. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we'll see how the Trojans react. Obviously, the speculation now is who is going to be yes. the next head coach. Because I was listening to uh, to Stormy's show yesterday afternoon right here on Visa, and Mike Lombardi was a guest. And she asked him about the USC job. And, you know, he's well-connected in NFL circles, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you talk to some NFL people, they believe USC is at least better than half the jobs in the National Football league so everybody's like oh that's obviously a top 10 job and then you have some people like well the facilities aren't that great out there at the University of Southern California or they play in that old dilapidated coliseum so there are uh, positives and negatives really on that job I still think it's a top 10 job just on the basis of the tradition you're in Los Angeles you have two pro teams in Los Angeles still trying to find a fan base so it's kind of like USC is considered the pro team it's a talent rich area for recruiting I mean we talked on Saturday's point spread Saturday about how many quarterbacks have left the Pac-12 footprint there? I mean, DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young, all those guys. Like, This is a very talent-rich area. If you can get USC back up and running, you are at a very big advantage from a recruiting standpoint mm-hmm. if at least you bring it back to that prominence it once was when Pete Carroll was back there in the mid-2000s. And that's what makes it a promising job. And you look at the potential list of candidates. Now, who knows what Mike Bone, the athletic director, is going to be thinking. But there's always the obvious candidates, Femi, when a job like this opens up. John Matt Gruden? Campbell. <laughs> not, not John Gruden. Not I think the, he's very happy here with the uh, paycheck he's getting from Mark Davis here in Las Vegas. But uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State seems like he's connected to every job. James Franklin at Penn State, and maybe there's a possibility for Franklin because even if he's got it cooking at Penn State, 
he's always seemingly looking slightly up at Ohio State. And you mm-hmm. look at that Big Ten East, it's going to change, obviously, as we get closer to National Signing Day. The top seven recruiting classes going into next year in the Big Ten are all in the East Division. Like, even what are seen as the bottom feeders are the second tiers, Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana. So, Penn State, you know, Franklin's like, I got to go against Ohio State every single time. I go to USC. I am kind of the king daddy program in the Pac-12 South if I get this running right out here. So maybe James Franklin, Bill O'Brien, does USC go back to the pros like they did with Pete Carroll and maybe get lightning in a bottle a second time? I don't know about that because they're two different personalities. Yeah, I was going to say that that seems like a weird fit. Knowing what we know about Bill O'Brien and and he's he's kind of a prickly type of USC. I can see Franklin in terms of being a a Mm -hmm. fit for Mm -hmm. what goes on out there in California. He's more so in line with kind of how that whole spectacle is of the Trojans program. And then there's the obvious connection of Luke Fickle coming from Cincinnati. Let's say UC gets in the playoff this year. How much higher can you go if you're Cincinnati football? I think they are a realistic playoff candidate. They're going to get tested at Indiana and at Notre Dame in two of the next three weeks. But if they can run the table and do that, might he go to USC? Mike Bone did hire Luke Fickle when he was the Cincinnati athletic director, so he's a possibility. P.J. Fleck is another one of those energy guys, kind of a little bit Mm -hmm. like Pete Carroll, maybe could fit. And then there's the couple guys that are outside of coaching that have had big-time success, Uh, one being Bob Stoops, this he want to go back to coaching. He's on the end of the pregame kickoff show on Fox. And then the guy that was on the late night analysis for that USC Stanford game that I want to ask you about. He was in studio at Fox, that being one Chris Peterson, and you yes. covered him up in Seattle. And he seemed when he retired, I'm done with coaching. I'm tired of recruiting. I'm just yep. tired of all the BS. I'm tired of everything that comes with it. I need a break, whether it's a short break or a permanent break. Do you think he would come back to coaching if it was the right situation? I think the right situation, I think he would come back to coaching. I know when he when he left at Washington, it caught everybody off of guard, but it to me it felt like he more so wanted to press the reset button and really just kind of take a step back. But these coaches, we know how they are. They're so competitive, and when they're not in the arena, they're just itching to get mm-hmm. back into it. And he even mentioned, because he was going to be kind of like a special advisor at UW all yeah. throughout the athletic program, just to kind of give advice and just to pick his brain almost, that he was saying, hey, Jimmy Lake, he might not want to see me anymore because I'm going to be so much being like, hey, like, right. let's do this, let's do that. And like the pandemic obviously changed that dynamic. But I think that this guy, now that he's had a little bit of time to kind of relax and kind of hit that refresh button, I could see, I don't know if it'd be at USC, just because he doesn't seem to me like that kind of guy, the Hollywood type of guy. Right. I could see if it was the right situation. That's why Washington, when he left Boise State, really was appealing to him because Seattle, it's not like... He kind of can stay up there yeah, and not get bothered not get by bothered. all the hullabaloo yeah. around yeah, him. It's, yeah, it's more of a pro sports town, not all college sports, and he had a great program while he was up there, a great run, but USC, there's so much pressure, and he's been linked to this job before when he was at Boise State, mm-hmm. um, so I I don't I don't know if I would see him going to USC but I would never say never because I do think he will ultimately get back into coaching. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they approach this. I mean, if you're trying to get lightning in a bottle with that pro coach, Bill O'Brien, I know is a candidate as part of that Betty Ford Center rehab down there at University of Alabama. It's like all those <laughs> coaches all get rehab. It. Steve Sarkeesian, former USC coach, yeah. certainly did now at Texas. But, you know, <laughs> USC, I think, I don't want to say they're going to have their pick at a litter because I'm sure some people are like, well, that job's just not for me. But they're going to have some candidates that I think 
want this job. And if they're willing to pay $12 million for Clay Helton to go away, they obviously, I think, have the money from the donors and that base out there to go ahead and pay for a top head coach. But USC, to me, they can't just be one of those, they're just another program. They're no. USC. It's almost like we, all, we often looked at Indiana basketball. It's like, well, you don't want to get to that point where you're just another program and you look like Nebraska football or Michigan football. USC is too good of a program, yep. I think, to fall prey to that. Any, any Urban Meyer chatter, do you think? And, you know, maybe. You know, I was kind of making a joke about that, that he's going to go all Bobby <laughs> Petrino, man, uh, and, and stiff hey. uh, Shad and Tony Khan down there in Jacksonville. But I do think Urban <laughs> wants to see this through, despite the fact yeah. of the reports that we get that there's a divide on that team between some of the college coaches like Urban's guys and some of the NFL lifers on that staff. Unhinged is the word that yes. will come out on Sunday. And we'll talk Urban Meyer and other rookie NFL head coaches rather on the other side. Plus more news and notes from around the league. It is the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. season is here and VEASAN has kicked off our new schedule. We have new talent and shows to help you make the most of your fall betting action. The VEASAN lineup has expanded to 21 hours of live programming every weekday as well as additional shows on the weekend. We want to give you the latest odds to stay on top of the in-game betting opportunities for every key game across the country. We've added new personalities to our existing world-class team including former professional athletes, sports media veterans, and of course strategic sports bettors. Visit vcin.com to see our new lineup and talent and make this your best football betting season ever. It is the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. Femi Bebefe, Wes Reynolds at the South Point Hotel and Casino here on vcin, the sports betting network. And we've got some head coaches that were, uh, you know, pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, the rookie head coaches making their debuts out there. Three of them won in week one there with David Culley and the Houston Texans, probably the most surprising one. Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, they beat the Atlanta Falcons with Arthur Smith. So rookie on rookie head coach there, as was with David Culley and the Texans. Well, Urban Meyer's not a rookie head coach, but a first-timer in the NFL, as well as Brandon Staley getting a win out there for the LA Chargers against the Washington football team. Was there a, a head coach's debut that was more impressive to you than, than another? Or where do you kind of rank the these rookie head coach, not necessarily rank them, but what do you, what's your kind of general temperature on these guys heading into week two? Well, I'll start with Cully, and look, that Houston team we know is not going to be very good. I don't think we, even though they are the leaders after week one in the AFC South, as all the other teams were defeated, but I thought it was a good spot for Houston, and that was one I did get right with uh, David Cully, because look, this guy's an NFL lifer. He has yep. been an NFL assistant since 1994. He is 65 years old. He finally gets a shot as a head coach, and I think that Houston team, despite all the tumult with the front office and all the star players that are now gone and the fact that they're down on talent and the fact that their main starting quarterback probably is, you know, certainly has actually played his last down as a Houston Texan and everything going on with Watson and and all the other stuff. That team, I do think, is going to play hard because I think that they have pride and you saw it against the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
37-21, and I, I think the game actually wasn't that close. They pretty much mm-hmm. dominated the game here. So good start for Kali. Uh, one that really did kind of impress me a little bit was Brandon Staley with the Chargers because I think a lot of people liked that team. And I know Fitzpatrick went out of the game and it was Taylor Heineke, but Taylor Heineke was efficient. But what really impressed me with the Chargers, and Staley is a defensive coach, comes from that Dom Caper staff in Denver, and, you know, kind of wasn't a real huge name, like an obvious name to take that Chargers job to replace Anthony Lynn. The Los Angeles Chargers had 424 yards of total offense against a really damn good Washington yeah. defense. And that's what really surprised me uh, here. Uh, now, they did have two turnovers. Uh, Herbert threw an interception. They also had a fumble. But to put up that many yards on that defense, I think it's very good. They didn't run the ball very well, only 3.1 yards a carry and 90 total yards. But Justin Herbert was able to find some pet plays down the field. 20-16 to 16 win over the Washington football team. So, Staley really kind of impressed me, I think, of all the winning head coaches from week one. Well, and think about how many close games the Chargers have lost over the last handful of years. That seemed like Anthony it was going to be another one of them, too, because yes. the WFT was just kind of hanging around a little bit. And they would always find ways to lose yeah. those games. And, I mean, they go chargering. Yes. It was a chargerian, I believe, was a yes. term that I heard uh, earlier on Sunday. But it's they were able to pull that game out. But another guy who kind of impressed me, and I might be biased because I bet him to be coach of the year was Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they were able to do there in Philly, I mean, absolutely destroyed Atlanta. I mean, that line closed three and a half, and the game, it was close a little bit for the first quarter, but after that first quarter, the Eagles really took off and never really looked back there with the, right. such an advantage in the trenches for Philadelphia. But with Sirianni, they really are committed to this Jalen Hurts approach, and I thought Hertz was efficient under Nick Sirianni there. It was his first time calling plays because he was the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis. But you know Frank Reich yes. was, the, was the play caller out there for the Colts there. So in his first showing, and one thing that really stuck out to me was he was aggressive. Those mm-hmm. four down decisions that you absolutely love to see from a new head coach, fourth and two at the Falcons 22. He said, no, we're not taking the field goal. We're going to go for it. And then they didn't get it. Yeah. But just that process and thinking that way is really like more of cutting edge what the analytics say you should do from an aggression standpoint. I really like that from Nick Sirianni. And also, who could forget the handshake with him and Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. at, out there on, on the sidelines there. Uh, so it's, you're seeing nice continuity with the young quarterback in the first year head coach out there in Philly. Yeah, Sirianni, and I thought Philadelphia in general, they were better. I don't want to, you know, get out ahead of it here and say, okay, this team's going to win the division, but they were better than I thought they were going to be in conversely Atlanta, even though I was down on this team. Yuck. Not very good. And look, I think Arthur Smith can be a very good head coach in this league, and I think you saw Tennessee missed him a little bit in week one as Arizona lowered the boom on them 38-13, to and they definitely miss Arthur Smith there in Nashville. I think Arthur Smith has what it takes to be a good head coach, but the Atlanta Falcons, they were a team I was down on in in the offseason and going into the season simply because I think they made a mistake with the new GM, Terry Fontenot. He should have came in and blew up the team, in my opinion. He should have traded Matt Ryan to a team that was kind of close to making the playoffs that need that veteran quarterback. The Denver Broncos definitely come to mind. Perhaps the Washington football team. There were some teams out there that needed a veteran quarterback that I still think has a little bit left. And I do think Matt Ryan still has a little left. Maybe not as much left. You know, he's on the back nine of his career, clearly. But, you know, the Falcons didn't blow that team up and then they took Kyle Pitts who like 
you know, looked like kind of the best player available, regardless of position, regardless of need. You know, maybe the most surefire guy there at the top of the draft, but it's like you're drafting a tight end, your offensive line still has issues, your defense just doesn't have a lot of talent, and there you see there on the graphic, yeah, that's, uh, that's both what, Arthur Smith teams, yes. uh, the former Arthur Smith team, the Titans, 3.9 yards of play. I think that that'll improve. Falcons, though, 4.1 yards of play. That does very much concern me. Uh, you never want to jump to too many conclusions after week one, but the Atlanta Falcons might be one of those ones where you get the jump to conclusions, Matt, out and say, bad team. Well, jump to the bad team square. And, and for me, it's not even really jumping to conclusions because I thought they were a bad team heading into the season, mm-hmm. and I know there were some people that really liked them as a potential playoff team, but that roster just, you look at the depth chart, sometimes it's that simple. Yeah. Look at the guys we're playing, and you look at it and say, wow, those guys are not good. Offensive line, not good. Defense, really bad. I get Arthur Smith might be a good head coach. Matt Ryan is still a good quarterback in my opinion, but you need help. You also need guys to play out there, and they don't have them there. But some of the other news and notes around the NFL, obviously the big quarterback injury was Ryan Fitzpatrick for the Washington football team. They're calling it a hip subluxation. Uh, I'm no doctor. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard of that term. But It doesn't it's, sound like it's pleasant, It though. sounds very painful, and it sounds like Ryan Fitzpatrick will be missing quite a bit of time. Taylor Heineke will be inserted as the starting quarterback for the football team. Heineke obviously played for the football team in that playoff game under them against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Was not too shabby in yeah. that performance there out of Old Dominion, and he looked decent against the Chargers. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about this team? It doesn't feel like that big of a downgrade to me, at least. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Now, the market, I guess, believes it's about a half a point because the Washington football team was a four-point favorite. Now seeing some threes in the market against the Giants, and, you know, we talk about the ones we got right. That's one I got wrong was the New York Giants. As Denver Denver was clearly the better team. I was yeah. watching that game very closely doing the green zone with Dave Ross in the late afternoon, and did the Giants, they did not look good. They hung in for a little while, but they gave up that late touchdown in the first half, and it, it kind of felt, even though it was only a three-point game, it kind of felt like this game is over. It's all she wrote. Daniel Jones continues to struggle fumbling the football. Look ahead line, by the way, was four and a half, then went up a little bit. Now back down to three and a half or three here. I don't really think that there's much of a difference here between Heineke and Fitzpatrick. I was down a little bit on this Washington team anyway, because now all of a sudden you got a seven and nine team that won that NFC East and that record was good enough to win that division that's playing a first place schedule. And I just thought the schedule was going to catch up with them. I know they've got a very good defense and I still think despite what they gave up to the Chargers, I still think this is a very good defense with Chase Young and Montez Sweat as your pass rushers really leading the way. But this is a team I'm a little bit down on. Now that being said, I don't know if I want the Giants. This might be a Thursday night game where I kind of sit out and wait, maybe look for an in-game spot. But Pre-flop, neither side really attracts me here. Yeah, you mentioned how you were low on Washington. I think we talked about it either last week or might have been the week before about just how many good quarterbacks they were facing on that schedule. In week one, we saw them going up against Justin Herbert, where once again they had the disadvantage at quarterback there with Herbert being a much better player than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Anything on the total for you? It's come down to 40 and a half. If this thing dips even lower, maybe a contrarian over at this one. Because, I mean, Daniel Jones, he is one fumble in his own territory away from getting that game over the total. Yeah, I think we could have some turnovers here that obviously give short fields or also Mm -hmm. also provide scoring. So this dips below 41 because 41, I know, even with a lot more passing, the key numbers aren't as key anymore. It used to be 37 and 41 were the key numbers on totals. We often hear three and seven in terms of the key numbers for sides. But if this gets 
gets a little bit below 41, maybe 40 and a half, I would perhaps look to go to the over because this seems like a lot of turnovers, maybe a pick six, a fumble return could really push it over. But I don't want either part of these teams pre-plop on Thursday night. Yeah, that's one that you'll just want to wait and see and collect it as a data point. But one guy who has a play on the total, Will Hill of Point Spread Weekly. He's going to join us on the other side to talk this game and other week two games in the NFL. Don't go away. It's the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Raise the stakes with BetMGM. It's the best time to sign up because they're giving new customers a shot at an easy 100 bucks. Register using code VSIN100 and win $100 in free bets when you place a $1 money line wager on the Yankees or Orioles and either team hits a home run. BetMGM is always ready to help you turn big plays into major paydays. Enjoy innovative parlay selection builders, daily promotions, boosted odds specials, and more. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use code VSIN100 to win $100 when you bet $1 on the Yankees or Orioles and either team hits a home run. Only at BetMGM, the king of sports books. New customer offer paid in free bets. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. It is the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Femi Abebefeya alongside Wes Reynolds. And Wes, it's Tuesday, so it's about that time. We bring in our guy, Will Hill of Point Spread Weekly. Will, thank you for joining us once again. We always have fun chatting it up with you. Uh, I want to get to week one recap, week two in the NFL look-aheads, but you apparently have a bad beat from what happened this past weekend. He let us know what I hate to make you rehash it, but just kind of keep us informed and let us know what uh, let what's it out, place. Will. Yes. Yeah, what, this is a safe space. <laughs> Nobody listening probably cares. This is just more therapeutic for me. So I had some free play in one of my accounts. So I parlayed my five circa picks, which look kids, kids at home probably don't parlay. It's not the best idea, but, but I did it. My five circa picks. All I needed was Raiders plus four to hit the parlay that cashes, but I got cute. I got greedy. I saw the Ravens were down to minus 165 on the money line. I had a perfect middle setup, So I unloaded a lot on the Ravens had that middle sitting there where Ravens win by less than four. I mean, I was going to be probably not even beyond today. I'd be in Tahiti somewhere just enjoying the rest of my life but uh man it was not to be that was a, a helpless feeling to sit there with a perfect middle like that and uh man just kick the ball in bounds if, if you're the ravens make them use some time they just played so soft on that last drive of course i'm a vikings fan too watch carlson kick a 55 yard field goal this is a guy who couldn't make an extra point when he was with the vikings to send it to overtime and just what a wild game so many twists and turns the ravens get the ball back and, and you guys obviously watch it but uh kind of frustrating to sit there with the middle like that and, and watch it get away yeah, absolutely, Will. Uh, so, you know, the, uh, we always have bad beats, and, you know, every score counts. And, you know, you often say, okay, that game's down the board. That's not important. It's not two very good teams. If there's a line and a total on the game, it is important <laughs> and it is vital. So, uh, you know, sorry that that didn't cash for you, Will, but let's stick with the NFL. And you're on a couple totals here, at least early in the week. And Femi and I were actually just talking about this game in the last segment, updating the Ryan Fitzpatrick news, Taylor Hines 
Heineke now going to go as starting quarterback for the WFT. And they've got the Giants and the football team here on Thursday night. Seeing a little bit of movement to the under here. Giants not very impressive on offense. Daniel Jones fumbled yet again. He's made a habit of that over his two-plus years as a starter for the Big Blue. So now down to about 41, 41 and a half, and you like the under here in the spot. I do. I like the under, and I'm seeing it's moved from it was four, it was three and a half. Now it's down to three, which is good news for me because at three and a half, four, I was going to have to bet the Giants kind of blindly, which I don't wasn't crazy about doing. So I'll probably just stick with the under, especially if it's if it stays on three. I just think the Giants are going to have a whole lot of trouble blocking Washington. Now Washington is a little overrated defensively. I think if you look at their metrics last year. Really good against a bad uh, bad division. Like their numbers within the NFC East were outstanding. They got outside the division. They did not play as well. I think they got fortunate playing a lot of backup quarterbacks last year. So they're good defensively, especially up front with Sweat and Young. They should have some advantage against the Giants. Uh, like you said, the Giants you know, really struggled to move the ball against the Broncos. They ended up with 13 points, but six of those were on the last play of the game. Jones just kind of strolls into the end zone uh, as time expires to, to make that you know look a little better, a little window dressing at the end. So I think we're going to see an ugly game. We see a lot of ugly games Thursday night. These teams don't have a lot of time to prepare, uh, you know, especially disadvantageous for the, uh, for the road team. Really not a lot of prep time. So I could see a typical ugly Thursday night game. Game, you know, 20 to 16, 21, 17. I could see a sloppy game in low scoring here. I like the under. Yeah, Will Hill joining us here from Point Spread Weekly here on the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. And Will, you mentioned you're on the under. Unders went nine and seven in week number one, but the trend that a lot of people are talking about are the dogs, and they were barking loud in week number one. 12 and four ATS were underdogs in the first week in the NFL there. What do you make of the dogs covering? Is it just one of those, we don't really know who's good and who's bad, and it's just kind of valuable to take those points? What do you kind of make of underdogs really barking loud here in the first week? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think we don't know as much as we think we know. I mean, think about it. It's an eight-month or so offseason. A lot of these teams haven't played since last December. That's a long time. These rosters turn over, um, you know, not only free agency, the draft, but younger players develop and get better. Older players have time to regress. And look, I mean, some of these these spreads are based off records from last year remember nfl that's the smallest sample size we got of all the major sports it's only 16 games last year 17 this year so you can have an 11 and 5 team that outperformed and kind of just got lucky and vice versa so i think we go into this season you know not knowing as much as maybe we think we know probably why the underdogs did well here well, uh, one of the things that we know, at least, is that Mac Jones is going to be the future at quarterback for the New England Patriots. And I thought a very good debut, despite a loss at home to Miami. I thought Mac Jones was very efficient and didn't make a lot of mistakes. And it looks like he could perhaps have a bright future. Now, just a one-game sample size. But nevertheless, they didn't get the win. But another AFC East game for the New England Patriots. They go face the New York Jets, the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 who are going to be without Mackay Beck at left tackle for the interim and that's not good for another rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson yeah I like the under here too I think you're gonna have a lot of people on the Patriots here a couple angles Belichick off of a loss Belichick against the rookie quarterback so I could understand that now I'm not in the habit of laying it's gonna be around a touchdown I think they're minus six right now on the road Patriots don't score a lot of points I think they're gonna see a rookie quarterback on the other side and they're gonna be conservative as it is with a rookie quarterback of their own they're gonna run the ball they're gonna rely on their front seven you know they're gonna settle for a lot of field goals that's really what did them in the other day they settled for three field goals then they fumbled inside the 10 I mean they moved the ball pretty well uh, against Miami. They outgained them by over 100 yards. They just couldn't punch it in. So I look for a conservative game plan probably from both teams with two rookie quarterbacks. 
uh, I would look for another underplay. And I, I thought Jones was good. I agree with you. I just thought, man, I was high on the Patriots coming into the year. I thought they'd be underrated. They've actually gotten a little overrated because everyone's so high on them yep. based on Mac Jones, I think, preseason. And look, we saw the other day, Jones was efficient. He was productive, but it's a little different. He was really good in the preseason. It's different from preseason or regular season. So I, def- I definitely think we saw a little drop off from uh, – from from the summer until to week one with Mac Jones, where he wasn't as good as he was in the preseason. So again, like like the Giants Washington game, I could see a lower scoring game here. You know, settling for field goals, both teams being conservative. So I like the under. Yeah, well, I actually agree with you there with the Patriots being a little overrated now in the market, and I might we'll see what happens. A lot of time now between now and Sunday, but I might have a Jets ticket in my. The pocket. Patriots <laughs> are going to look like a very popular play, even with yes. the line move already because of what Will said. Mm-hmm. Belichick off a loss, rookie quarterback, but. Divisional road favorites are often a very tough lay, and I think yeah. a really tough lay early in the season, as Jacksonville found out. Exactly, on and, and, and in a, with a low total game there, there's no way you'd get me to lay six points with a rookie quarterback nope. there. So we'll, we'll, I might, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not rushing to bet the Jets, but I might have a Jets ticket in my pocket some, come Sunday. Yeah, there's some ugliness too when you look at these sides next week. I mean, do you really want to about the, take the Falcons plus 13 and a half, 14? You might have to against the Bucks. That looks uh, overinflated. The Jags open. They were like minus two, a uh, plus two on the look ahead line. They're up to like six. So, yeah. man, it, it might be a week to be a contrarian this week. There's some ugly sides. The Lions are getting a bunch of points against the Packers. We didn't see a lot of high spreads last week. I don't think anything was double digits last week. The 49ers got close. But you got three or four here with uh, double digit spreads with Texans and the Browns. So, this is what the NFL is about. I mean, you know, you can't just bet the Chiefs and all these good teams every week. You got to step up to the plate and take some of these bad ones, and this might be a week to do it. We've been all NFL thus far, but I know you are paying attention still to what's happening on the diamond. And you have a couple plays in today's MLB slate here. Uh, why don't you let the folks know what you're on today? Yeah, I played the A's and I played Montas. He's been really good second half. I think it's 10 starts, two ERA, great FIP, great whip, great everything. You know, he's really uh, a power splitter. He's been dominant. Um, I like the A's here. They're still in the thick of this wild card race. Like you said, it's been all football, but this AL wild card race is fascinating. It's like five teams within a couple of games. Uh, I'm sure you guys are keeping an eye on it. And, you know, just important, if, if you're good at betting baseball, just because football's here, don't turn a blind eye to baseball. I think it could be overwhelming trying to bet everything at once. But, uh, you know, the, mo- the money's green. The, the tickets cash the same, whatever sport it is. So whatever you're good at, just try to stick with it. So uh, I, I play the A's here in uh, in baseball. So I, I think this will be a fun race down the stretch. I also took the Blue Jays, who are red hot now against the Rays team, who's all beat up with their pitching staff. So uh, Blue Jays might be the favorite, man. If they could ever get in, they, they are as dangerous, as good as anyone in that, that American League. He is Will Hill of Point Spread Weekly, joining us here on the Lombardi Line, presented by BetMGM. Will, once again, we appreciate having you on today. All right, be good, guys. Thank you. VEASAN.com slash subscribe, as always. See ya. There it is right there. My man. That's being a company guy right there. Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And, of course, he came through for us there. But interesting stuff there with Will on those unders, especially on that uh, Thursday night game there. So uh, that's one that we'll be talking about, obviously, with that game just 48 hours away. NFL keeps rolling along here. But don't go away. We keep rolling along. Hour number two of the Lombardi line, talking a little college football at the top. Stay with us. It's VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. 